You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, this is Ramban versus Rambam. Uh, and this is a topic that we're going to begin tonight. Time and mitzvot, the rationale behind mitzvot, the reason and the rationale behind mitzvot. Um, most of you are probably familiar with the fact that um, the Rambam dedicates the last part of his uh, philosophical work, Mare Nebuchim and Chele Gimel, to um, uh, 20-odd chapters uh, in, on this topic. Uh, and he reformulates all the mitzvahs of the Torah in a somewhat of a different fashion than he does in the Mishnah Torah. And it's, um, he is considered for many the, uh, the place to start when you want to begin speaking about the rationale behind mitzvot. Uh, but it's clear for anyone that looks at the Chazal, or even the Torah for that matter, Laman Yedu Kichanunani, uh, don't be mitzar the almona because, right? Um, there's so many mitzvahs in the Torah where their rationale is given. Uh, there's reasons, uh, behind, uh, the reason why we do Korban Pesach and why we do so many mitzvahs of the Torah. The Torah doesn't necessarily explain all of them, but it would seem that the, uh, to believe, and we're going to talk about the Rambam's opinion and what Chazal were saying, that somehow God just wants our obedience and he wants to demand our fealty and there is no benefit other than obedience seems to be uh, a big mistake. Um, it seems to be against the Torah itself. Now, why doesn't the Torah clarify by all mitzvahs what its rationale is? All right, we're going to deal with that as well. But the fact, you know, the Rambam and the Ramban are on the same page, and we're going to see in a couple of minutes that that's the say, that's the truth, that the Torah has reasons behind why the commands were given. And they aren't just the, the because I said so. Because if you do this, you show that you jump high for God, and that shows that you're obedient, and that breaks your, um, your, 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 stubborn nature and now you've accepted God even for something that it doesn't really benefit you um, so that's where I want to start from the beginning that this is sometimes I, I, I think the Rambam might be and this is what the Ramban's argument is going to be with the Rambam is that the Rambam might have created an issue where no issue existed um, and, and we're going to deal with that the subtitle, the subcategory, uh, and the title that I that I had for this shear was a journey fraught with danger, and the journey becomes dangerous when rationale are given to mitzvos, sometimes in a scientific way or based on history or based on a philosophical idea that this mitzvah is supposed to embody. And then either the idea becomes junked because new science shows that it's not true or the historical facts 
that are supposedly the reason behind these mitzvahs are shown to be incorrect. Or the idea that this mitzvah is supposed to inculcate can be inculcated in a much clearer fashion, in a more direct way. Now, I'm not the first person to say that this is a dangerous road to go on. Uh, Rav Shamshan of Hirsch, uh, and we're going to read portions of it if we have time, in his 18th letter, which in some editions uh, of this work called The 19 Letters of Ben Uziel, um, Iger Tzafun, um, it was written in German. It was the first work that Hirsch published. It was a tremendous bestseller in the Jewish world. And it was a, a book of literary value as well. It wasn't just a philosophical work. Hirsch created two characters. He created two young men writing letters. One, of course, was more knowledgeable than the other. But he 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 wrote it in such a vivid fashion that the two come alive. And the, uh, the, the one with the answers is able to set straight the one who has the questions of his time. Um, even, uh, just parenthetically, even Heinrich Gratz, who, uh, ended up becoming, uh, em- embroiled with, uh, Hirsch, uh, and involved in a number of arguments and controversies. Obviously, Hirsch, um, did not re- did not like his history of the Jews and reviewed it in a very negative fashion, uh, talking about how it bordered and sometimes actually uh, devolved into apicorsis and kfira. But even Gratz writes, when he writes the history of his age, writes about this wonderful work called Egeret uh, Safo the Letters of Ben Uziel. And in that 18th letter, Hirsch blames the Rambam for constructing a overarching overarching understanding of why we do certain mitzvos and because those are it's almost like the Rambam did such a job especially when he connected and those of you I know who, who have been learning Chumash know the Rambam's opinion on Korbonos and many of the other chukim in the Torah that people who accepted the Rambam as a great halachist then pointed to the Rambam with his rationale for mitzvos and used those as a way to justify not having to do these mitzvos anymore because their relevance had stopped. And that is why uh, what Hirsch says about the Rambam in many ways is fraught with danger for us as well. Um, there, of course, you know, we, we, we have the four sons of the Seder. And I've said many times that Tom is not a little fool. He's not um, a small child. He has decided that perhaps investigating this is not worth it. Maybe investigating the difference in Chukim and Mishpatim and Avodas isn't worth it. Because over time, we're going to find things that aren't chukim anymore. And mishpatim that are going to sound like chukim for the modern age. And therefore, there is almost uh, uh, a, a fear of organizing and defining 
I am not, I don't know if I agree with Hirsch. I think it's worthwhile for us, since we're studying Rambam versus Rambam, to see, to read Hirsch's critique. Uh, Mark Shapiro has already uh, shown in one of his essays, and it was in a book that he published, that this chapter of, uh, uh, this section of the, uh, of, of the 19 letters was uh, was edited and expunged from some of the editions, early editions uh, that, that were translated into Hebrew because of the arrows that uh, Hirsch uh, took aim at and shot at the Rambam and including Moshe Mendelssohn, uh, which we'll talk about. So it is something that when we do come up with great explanations from mitzvos. We have to re- realize that we have to tread very, very carefully. And that's why I, I call it a, 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 a journey fraught with danger. I want to start, though, um, and this is sort of my bulldog nature sometimes, with the Raubag from last week. But before we get to the Raubag, I want to show you a quote from the Rambam. And this is uh, the Rambam quoting a Chazal that when I looked it up, uh, it, it, the Nusach that has been preserved in most editions does, does not follow the Rambam. And the Rambam and the Ramban both had this version. Uh, and I'm going to show it to you. This is from the Rambam in Hilchos, um, Hilchos Me'ila. Mishpatim, the Rambam says, means mitzvah shatayim Goli. From the word mishpat. Everyone knows how positive they are to be doing. So this is something you've heard many times. The Rambam is just codifying what was pretty well known. That the word chok are ideas that show God's decrees without explaining them. He quotes Chazal Chukim Shechakakti Loch. I've hewed them, I've I've chiseled them. They're now in stone and they can't be changed. Vein v'chovashus lahar alayin v'yitzro shaladim nok v'behen. And when they're there, the yitzer hara is is knocking you about them. V'umas olam ashivan alayin. And the non-Jewish world asks questions about them. Not just questions. It's constantly barraging us. What are the examples? Kagon Isr Basar Chazir, Basar Bachalav, Egla Arufa, Paraduma, Vesoyer HaMishtaleach. So the not eating of, 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 of pig, not cooking milk and meat, the um, I'm not sure if what you would call it the uh, the ritual of the eglarufa when a dead body is found paraduma which we'll talk about in a little bit of length uh, what's used to be matahir of someone who has tumas mace the burning of the paraduma the ashes what we put into the paraduma while it's burning, the water that gets mixed with the ashes. Now, that is the list. 
of chukim, prime chukim. There might be more. There is an example there, according to the Rambam. I want to show you that the Ramban, in Parshas Achremos, quotes the same Chazal, and he says, Dvarim sheyet zahara makatreg bahem. Makatreg is a little bit different than the Rambam's nusach. The Rambam's nusach is that yitzro shal adam nokfo bahem. The yitzro sort of like knocking you out. I don't like it. Makatreg is sort of like making arguments. Right? You know, it's like the little devil on your shoulder that's telling you why you shouldn't do it or that you shouldn't care about that mitzvah. And that's exactly the same. And here we have Levisha Shatnez Poraduma Vasar Mishtaleach. The Ramban's Nusach is a lot shorter. It could be he was shortening it, but you can see that it's very similar to the Rambam. Shatnez Poraduma Vasar Mishtaleach. The Rambam does not mention Shatnez here. That doesn't mean that he doesn't agree with it. But I wanted to show you that Paraduma and Sar Mishtaleach are both there. When I did a little research on this, and I was trying to discover the source of this Chazal, <coughs> it seems to be this Taras Kohanim and Achrimos. Now, again, there might be alternate texts. But if you take a look at it then, Gzeilos, that's what the Rambam has here. And of course, it also mentions Arayos. That Arayos is one of the Mishpatim. Okay. And that, of course, is a debate. We've talked about that in previous classes. Okay. It mentions also Kibbalah Hashem, cursing God. Now, here are the ones that the Yetzirah is Meshevalayim. It uses the same term. The Yetzirah, Dumasa'olam whether it's non-Jews or your own little non-Jew inside of you that's telling you don't do this or why should you do this. And here we have Chazir, the wearing of Klayim, Chalitza of a Yavama, Tyrus Hametzora, Sora Mishtaleach. Interesting that Poraduma is not mentioned. That Yetzahoro, Meshavalei, and Lumasa'olam, Okay, so that's one thing I want to show you, that both the Ramban and the Rambam have Paraduma. And just to point out one other little uh, element that the Ramban points out, Lomotsu b'karbonos tshuvulumus alamaleinu. Karbonos in general were not in the list. Only the weirdest of the korbanos, Sara Mishtaleach and Paraduma. But the idea of korbanos in general is not something that was considered a chok that the non-Jewish world felt it didn't make sense to them and were bothering us. Okay. Um, okay. I, I want to show you briefly that although it might not be in the original Teres Kehanim, from the fact that they write Zos Chukas and then talks about Poraduma, from a number of Mithroshim, Poraduma seems to be 
the ultimate chok. It's the one that Shlomo Melech said, the Chazal, according to Chazal, Amarti that Shlomo Melech was not able to discern the ideas of Paraduma. It was like the, the most difficult. And yet, our friend the Ralbag from last week explains in great detail every aspect of Paraduma, and I have it here up on the board, the reasons behind Paraduma. And um, the basic idea of the of the Ralbag is has to do, of course, with what does it mean to die. And of course, it's only when a human being dies that the tumos mess that Paraduma relates to is connected. And this is the basic principle of the Ralbag. When a person dies, what's missing? The tsura that made that bag of flesh into a human. And therefore, not only is the tsura gone, but the work that that tsura did what did the tsura do? What does our soul do when it inhabits our body? Because we know it actually in, in, it vivifies the body. It works with the body. And only through the body are you able to perceive muskolas chadoshos. It's only with the gift of being in the body that the soul goes from potential to actual that the soul is able to become. And it's only through the gifts of the body. It needs the body sense of feeling to begin the building blocks of an intellectual understanding of a phenomena. It needs the dimyon, the fact that the body, and along with other bodies of of animals and other things that have this imaginatory faculty, we need dimyon as well. And we need the koach We need the ability to remember something. That if it felt pain, if the dog was hit by its owner, it remembers that owner and stays away. We also have, through the body, a, a potential to remember things, to connect things, to imagine things, to, to, to hope, to anticipate that this is going to happen. Now, the body would like, as we learned last week, would like it to be the most pleasant, just wonderful experience and just pigging out on anything that it wants. But when the body is working correctly, when the soul is able, the tsura is able to marshal it, it uses these qualities to become eternal. Once the body, once the Chomer leaves the body, it can't do, it can't work anymore on collecting das and ideas. Because it doesn't have the kalim, it doesn't have what the body gives it. So what happens when you die? Tishar oz al mashi sigam Basically, you stop. 
What were you at the last moment of your life? That's what you remain. And he says, this is a very important principle to know about the years that are given to you in your body and what the purpose of those elements of of, of, of sensory perception, of memory, even of imagine, imagination are for. Because if you don't know what they're for, then they're going to drive you away from being a sholay. So therefore, the Torah, by having this special act that's so unique and so different, by making sure that this para for example, doesn't do any work, it's telling you that the Torah, which is representative of the gifts of the body that man can use, it's telling you that no work. No work means Why? Because you can't do any other work with it. The whole point is when it's it's an animal that nobody worked to show you that the purpose of all these gifts was only to for you to use them towards God. And then he explains about Eglarufa as well. And Eglarufa is also about how death means the end of the line. And he also talks about how, why it's a young animal and not an older animal to show you that when a person dies, free will is responsible for that. Um, that's what he says. That's why we use a young animal to show you that, um, that a person, whoever he is, he dies, he can be killed and it doesn't have to be his time to die. So we take a young animal, which is a symbol of something that should have lived longer. Anyway, um, the, the Ralbag then goes through every aspect of the color, of where it's done, the fact that it's done outside of the Beis Amikdosh, why people are Tomei who, who deal with it, how it's not, how you can have it make one person Tomei and one person Tohar, why you sprinkle towards the Oel Moed. And he also says that um, that um, you know he, he compares many the, the uh, what does it mean that the um, uh, you know how the seichel is now lost um, as he says over here nobody when you when you take the paraduma you can't give a kid a a, a pony ride at the same time that tells you first of all don't think the seichel is gone when the body is not there it is there but you know what is gone what is gone is you can't achieve anything more he says, many people make a mistake about this. Many great philosophers make a mistake about this. And he says, the idea that after death, the Seichel cannot perceive anything new, that's also a fact. And that is something which many of the uh, people who believe in eternal life 
ha, uh, have erred in. And he says, and he references his own book. And the reason why it has to be burned completely um, and again, burning completely is a way to symbolize that what we essentially are is a soul, a tzura. Because when you die, that's all that's left. The body doesn't come back. The Rambal, Rambal does not believe. And Tchios HaMesim in the same way. It's very similar to the Rambam. Uh, if it does occur, it's only a miracle that'll happen. Um, and he also explains why these are the two elements that are thrown into the Eitz Erez and the Azov, the Shni Talas. I don't want to read the whole thing. I just want to read you what he says here. He says, Yishtabach v'yizbarach yotzerakol shechonon osanu Baruch Hashem, that you gave us this Torah, and now I figured it out. I've through my philosophical system, and as it aligns with Carbonos, I've now been able to discover the purpose of Paraduma. And he says, um, So what I'm trying to show you is, now maybe the Rabag is right, maybe he's not right. But the Rabag has decided in one of his longest sections to take Paraduma and to dismiss the idea of it being a chok and actually use it to be the central, one of the central themes of his philosophy. He refuses to allow it to be a chok. And again, does that mean he's going against Chazal? Well, he doesn't really care about that. But what does he, what do we see from the Raubach? that he was willing to take something and that most people would say, you're never going to figure that out. Shlomo can figure it out. He said, I did. And this, of course, aligns with what we were talking last week about the Raubag's, um his courage in his own mind and his, his uh, how he felt, the you know, what he felt humans were about to do. But it also shows that these elements of categorizing might not be as firm as we think. Um, let me start with a question now. Here's the question. It's not my question. It's a question that Professor Yitzchak Heinemann, who is one of the great um, teachers uh, in Germany in the latter part of the ninth, about the basically the early part of the 20th century, a little bit in the end of the 19th century. I think he died in, um, I think it was 1960, I think it was, but um, 66. I'm not sure what year he died, but he was a really great teacher of Yitzhak Heinemann. He says, he asked the following, and I don't think there's any better answer. The non-Jewish world at the time the Torah was given, even the time of Bayez Rishon, would not have had a problem with all these mitzvahs. They were doing very similar things. They were doing very similar avodizotas and other things just like that. When we talk about the Umas Olam being Meshavalein, Okay, do you think Yisro, or when Yisro told his friends what the Torah was about, they all had unique and strange laws. When Chazal talk about the Yitzhahara, Numa Sa'olam, Meshev you know, we look at, 
look at Bayez Rishon. What were the Nevi'im telling everyone? Don't do Avodah Zarah. That's not even on the list. Right? Don't. What did Yeshaya and all the other Nevi'im talk about? Shvi Chazdomim and, and oppressing people. Right? That's the Averis they were doing. The, what was the big Yetzir Hara for Klal Yisrael? Avodah Zarah. Right? That was, the, and, and the rest of the Goya Shavel, the Gentile world, the nations around them, they, at the time the Torah was given, till the time of Bayashani and beyond, would not have been saying, oh, you're kind of crazy Torah. Okay, is my Torah crazier than yours? <laughs> right? Is my Torah crazier than yours? Um, <laughs> let me, sh- let me prove this to you. There's a medrash that talks about Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka. I want to show you right here. Um, who was there at the time of the Beis HaMikdosh and at its destruction. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Joe. You looked it up. Yeah, he was definitely a great teacher. and uh, uh, Really, almost every book that he wrote is, 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 is close to a masterpiece. Um, there's a number of his books available in Hebrew. Uh, I'm not sure if any of his books are translated in English, possibly. Anyway, here is, um, but thank you, Joe. There was... Rabbi Kivilevich, I'm sorry. Could you please spell this teacher's name again? I'm sorry, I wasn't able to get Yeah, Yitzchak Heinemann, E-H-E-I-N-N-E-M-A-N-N. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, let me show you uh, a, a psikta der of Kana that Heinemann quotes. Goy echad shows Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Omar lay. Even milyad also of the near and coming shofim. Which you guys, it looks like magic what you're doing. Mevi and parav shochten osan. You take this 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 uh, uh, cow. You slaughter it. You burn it, you burn it into ashes. You take its earth, you take its 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 its, its ashes, and then one of you who's tame lames, and then you sprinkle two or three drops on it, and you say he's tocher. That seems like magic. The man was tame, and this magically gets rid of it. So Yochanan said to him, Lo nechnasta ruach You never heard of somebody being affected by a, by like a demon, by this wild spirit? He says, Omar lo love, um, um, I've never had it happen to me. Okay. Did you ever see someone else possessed? He says, yes, I have seen someone possessed. Okay, what do you guys do in your religion when someone is possessed? So he says, maybe in Ikrin, we bring these roots, ma'ashnin tachtov, and we, we heat them up underneath him, umarbitzamalayamayim, and then we pour this water on it, vihibarachas, and the, and the demon leaves his body. He says, he says, look what you, didn't you hear what you just said? This demon that you feel um, inhabits people, we also have this bad spirit, right? And 
we talk about a Ruach Tumah, so this is the way we get rid of our Ruach Tumah. Now, Kivan Shayyatsa Omrlo Talmidov, Rebbe, Lizer Dachisa Bakana. Oh, come on. What you told him was a bunch of baloney. Lonu Mata Meshiv. What are you going to tell us? What is the reason behind it? Amrlem Chayechem, Loa Mace Metam, Loa Mayim Metarim. The mace itself doesn't really create Tuma. The water doesn't really create Tahara. Hmm. And here again we see a reiteration. etc. Now this is a very powerful measure. I, I want to stop. I, I, I want to ignore the last part of it and just concentrate what, Rav Heine, what Rav Dr. Heinemann wants, which is the first part of it, which is the non-Jews even way into the time of Yochanan and Zakai could have been shown that many of the things that we do are very similar to what they did. Now, you could say what they're saying is, oh, you're just as bad as us. That could be. Heinemann wants to suggest something else. And I think he's right. <laughs> it was only as the world changed with Alexander's spreading the, of, of, of Hellenistic thought, that the idea of questioning all the old religions started to become prevalent. It, it, I, I'll agree that most of the, the Misyavnim were not questioners, but there were some among them. There began to be, there began this, this, this Bikoret on all religions. Um, yes. Rabbi Kivalich, I would like to add that Christianity, in fact, uh, came out of the contact with Hellenism, and it's a rebellion against the Jewish ritual in general. Okay. So we, we, we are living, right? We were living already at the time of the Mishnah as a lot of the, exactly what the, the Rambam and the Rambam, you know, Ramban were saying. Is or they, or, or what the Medr, what Chazal, what Chazal were saying. When Chazal were talking about the Goyim, they're talking about their Goyim. Right. We're talking about the Goyim of their time. The, the, are, local, the local dudes, yeah. Who are yeah, now yeah. in the last hundred years or so, Writing, you're right, Dr. Code, in a wave of criticism that was not there before. So in other words, Chazal, in other words, the Torah, Shmuel Anovi didn't have to say, well, these are our Mishpatim, and these are our Chukim, and, and, and he didn't have to give rationales behind mitzvos, because that wasn't necessary. It was only necessary when we were attacked. We were attacked and like you said, by the proto-Christians, by Hellenistic thought, and that was what they meant, that they were meshiv on their own as well. And we needed to somehow distinguish between Zeus and Yudke Vovke. We needed to distinguish between, well, this is the way we show fealty to the God because... If, if, if we destroy ourselves for God, then God will somehow be uh, beneficent towards us and give us rain and water, etc. No. God is not just a God who says, you know, like one of the, 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 the Greek gods or the Roman gods, or whatever concept they had of, of, of an unknowable 
being that everyone had to submit to, Chazal started the process of showing from the Torah itself that there is love, compassion. We become better through the mitzvahs. God is, yes, we cannot, uh, we cannot, uh, we cannot uh, unhook the shackles of these mitzvahs. But they aren't shackles in the way that it's just there to suppress us. It makes us better. God wants us to know, understand that. God wants to have lieutenants and captains and, and, and sergeants and infantrymen that understand what their mission is about. And this way they do it with simcha, with ava. In fact, the psukim in the Torah testify that. That our Torah is really has ideas behind it. It, uh, it doesn't give us the complete understanding of all of them, but it clearly was meant to be something that wasn't just about uh, holding people back, controlling them, and forcing them to act in a certain way to break them. Um, it wasn't about breaking uh, their, their stubborn spirit. It was about elevating humans. And, the, and, and Chazal understood that. Unfortunately, but, well, but, but the problem was there were certain mitzvos that they didn't have at their disposal, at least, an ability to explain. Now, there might have been Kabbalists and others who were privy to the knowledge of everything. But it was only in the time of Chazal that the Shever took place. And when we look at the Rambam's time, writing for people that are philosophically skeptical, what we are seeing is aftershocks that are a thousand years later. And the Rambam feeling that he must do the job. Now, I, I want to show you, we're going to read some Rambam and Ramban inside as well. I want, uh, again, after we, we've done the, the Raubag, I showed you this medrash. Let me show you a couple of other medrashim. This is the medrash that the Rambam quotes in Moran that the Rambam says is a das yochid. The Rambam says that this medrash is a medrash that it does not represent really Chazal. The Rambam in Moran in the third chalik, Perakhavav, um, aligns the idea of is what God's, are God's actions purposeful? And if God's actions are purposeful, then what logically falls from that is that commands that God gives must have a real purpose. Or perhaps, and there were many Jews who thought this, as well as non-Jews, maybe people from uh, the, uh, the Islamic culture, that there is a discussion whether God's actions, you can say God's actions are laced with chokhmah or not. Do we have a right to say that? It's God who did it. But we cannot even know God in any way, shape, whatsoever. There are people who believe that philosophically. Therefore, the Rambam says, the people who believe that God is beyond our total ken will also say that when there's a command from God, because 
the Muslims and the Jews who believe in revelation, they will say that there is no reason behind God's commands either. As he says here, they argue on Sivuyim. If they have an argument about God's actions in creation and the world and what he does, then they will have the same argument about God's mitzvos. What are mitzvos? These are Jews saying this, and Arabs, and um, Jews and Muslims, saying it's a mitzvos are a byproduct of an ultimate will. That's all they are. Others will say that every mitzvah that there is has a reason. And there was a benefit to humanity that the reason that mitzvah was given. The Rambam says, I am of the second opinion. Now, I don't know all the rationale behind all mitzvahs. Maybe other generations will, but there is. And he says, the psukim indicate that. Chukim, mishpatim, tzadikim. Even the chukim are tzadikim. In Moranavuchim, the Rambam does not mention Poraduma. <laughs> um, he mentions Shatnez, Basar Bacholov, and Sar Mishtaleach. Um, which is a little bit different than the Rambam in Hilchos Me'ila. So again, I don't know why Paraduma slips away. Uh, it, it disappeared from the Teres Kohanim, and it disappeared from the Rambam's Mernavuchen. <laughs> the Ralbag would be happy about that. But I don't think the Ralbag thinks anything. Uh, the Ralbag is not scared of any. Ralbag has an explanation of almost every mitzvah. Um, now, and then he says, even regular non-Jewish philosophers don't agree that, there, that it can't be that there's no reason. Because if there is no reason behind what God commands, then that makes it seem like God is not God. He's doing something for no reason. And if, when a human does something for no reason, the Rambam says, he would be definitely guilty of being a fool. How could you ascribe to God that God does things without a reason? Now, why does God in the Torah distinguish if all of them have reasons? Because some of them are easy to know, like the Mishpatim. The ones that everyone is going to spend their life trying to figure out and maybe never know, those are the chukim. And that's what he quotes the Chazal, Kilo Davareku, Mikhem. Rabbi Kivalevich? Yes. I'm a little bit surprised, I'm sorry for interrupting, that it's, uh, they lived in the era of kings. And knowing how kings function, some orders that they issue are just to, uh, sometimes are very weird and meaningless, but it's to, you know, people do it because they, to, to, for abeyance. L'shem malchut. I understand. You know, I, I don't know why this is not being brought. That's right, right. Or not the, the, according to the Rambam, that might be something that a uh, a human king would want to do to show his power and to make sure people are obedient. But it would be 
be it, it would be illogical for the creator of the world who gives us this free will to just want this to happen. Um, it has to be that just like the mountain is there for a, a reason, the sun is there for a reason, the mitzvah is also part of this created world and it therefore has a purpose. And since the mitzvah is only, it's, it is only activated and exists within the person who it's being commanded for, unless you say that it actually does something, then what you've done is deny God as an architect and a creator. That is that is um, what the Rambam writes here. He mentions Paraduma, that this was something that even Sholomelech didn't know about. But then he says that Chazal say something else. Um, using Shlomo as, as, as the model, the reason why God leaves certain mitzvos in, in, in the dark and we don't know what they mean, because if we knew what they meant, then we might follow in Shlomo Melech's path, who took three of them that the rationale was given, and he violated all three, because he felt that he understood what was behind it, and he felt that he would be immune to uh, to be to, to affected by it. Now, we know what we're talking about, um, uh, excessive wives, excessive horses, um, uh, excessive money, all of those things Shlomo Melech felt he, he was above and Shlomo Melech uh, um, falling in those three ways becomes a lesson for all of us. And that's sort of the reason why we hope to know what all of these mitzvahs mean. Uh, Rabbeinu Bachia says that's going to be one of the uh, giluyim of the Mosa Mashiach, that there won't be any chukim anymore. All of them will be very well known. But until Yemosa Mashiach, Bachi says that certain we're going to be somewhat in the dark. All right. Now the Rambam says, and this is the part I wanted to share with you uh, specifically. There is a statement in Bereshis Rabbah that does seem to say that mitzvahs, at least some of them, have no reason, just the command. And they aren't there for any other purpose, and they don't actually uh, uh, give a benefit. And what is the Lashon? Here is the quote, the Rambam quotes Bereshis Rabbah. What's really the difference between slaughtering from the neck, slaughtering from the, uh, from um, the, I don't know what we call it, on top of the, the, the you know, the mafreket, um, where the spinal column is, where the, 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 I'm not sure what the technical term for it is. We have a number of doctors and professors here, but you know what I mean, the oref, um, it's, 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 okay. Um, we know means to sort of like toughen you up. We know that's what's done in a, a silversmith or any sort of person who works with metal, right? A kesef tsarufa. 
you you get rid of the excess by purifying. Even though this language of the of the medrash is very strange. Now, Kibalevich stops. No. This is the only Chazal. We don't find other statements like that. The Rambam is telling us that this is one Medrash, the whole great sea of Talmudic and Midrashic, Bavli, Yershami, this is one Medrash Rabbi that says it. And therefore, part of him is saying, I don't need to be responsible for this one weird medrash. He says, I'm going to explain it anyway. He may be artibo beer ashmiacho, so I'm going to try to explain it anyway. Why? Because I don't want it to be on the outs. I don't want this medrash to be against what everybody else would say. And the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, so what does it really mean? If you're going to take this Medrash and you're going to explain it and you have any intelligence, what are you going to say? That of course, the, the general rule of mitzvos have a rationale. And there is a purpose for the general idea behind what this mitzvah is. But the details of most mitzvahs, those are just to show obedience. For example, we know that the Rambam was not a vegetarian, as you're going to see in a minute. Killing a live animal in order to get sustenance from what that animal can bring when you put it into your system. Everyone knows that this is something positive. But why does it have to be killed in this way that it is killed? Why can't it be killed not with shechita? Why does it have to be a certain spot where the esophagus and windpipe are cut? Those are what it means those details are with Sarf ben Sabrios. The basic idea behind all mitzvahs has a rationale. The details you can never really figure out. And when you, when you show fealty and obedience to the details, that's the obedient part of what mitzvahs are there for. Now, um, that is the way I'm going to explain what this chazal means. And my proof is, it uses the example of, is it from the, the under the neck here or the oraf? From there, the Rambam gets his idea. But the truth is, the example is wrong. Because once you admit that animals need to be eaten, so what we're trying to do is lessen the pain of their death. And therefore, <laughs> right? Since this is the the easiest way for them to die, 
you, you, right? You're going to use some sort of sharp metal object at that place. I'm sorry, let me read it again. If you would kill them from the top of the neck, you would have to use a very strong object, a painful object, in order to kill the animal, to break its neck and, and, and cause it to lose life. But if you're on the, on the softer side, the upper side of it, the lower side of its neck, then you don't have to use a, a, a heavy, a terrible object. And therefore, you can use a knife, not a sword. And the little sharp edge of a sword will not be as painful. Now, he does say, however, once he's made this uh, example, that I do... Yes, yes, Bob. Sorry, I I think I lost the train of thought here a little bit. And since... said earlier, I think you, you mentioned this, that the details are, so now he seems to be contradicting that and saying, right. but here's the okay. detail. So, so let me explain. Okay, let, let me explain it a little bit better. The Rambam really believe the, you know, the Rambam is, is, is a very um, fertile, has a very fertile mind and, and really understands how to argue. And he, he is not a person who just wants to divide and dismiss. It, it's clear to him that part of what he wants, the, the case he wants to make is that mitzvahs have a reason. It all isn't about obedience. Now, there is a chazal that seemed to say it's about obedience. We don't know why. The Rambam wants to take that chazal and say that it, it, what it could mean is that the details of mitzvahs can't be understood. But the mitzvah in general does have a reason. And then what he says is, is that this chazal, which uses shchit as an example, is trying to say that the details of shchita are not essential to the mitzvah of shchita, which is God commanding us to make use of the best nutrition for our bodies. But how we have the, how the animal is put down is really a detail that we'll never be able to figure out. Then the Rambam disagrees, Bob, with that. He says, that is what the rabbis meant who said this. But they are wrong because the details of Shrita are all extremely important and very understandable based on the same reason why you're allowed to do shkita. You're allowed to do shkita because this is an important food for humans to have, but in order to take the life of that animal, it has to be done in the kindest way. It all is part of a piece. Now, the idea that details can sometimes never be fathomed, he says, I do agree that that's true, but it's only true, for example, when it comes to the details of korbanot. Now, he's, we know why korbanot are important. And we know that's because that was the way that service of God was understood by the ancient world. 
And to use it for the sake of God, of one God, was very important. But the Rambam says, why this animal is a sheep? And why the Nazir brings a ram? Why on Yontif you have 13 going down? Why it's two on, uh, or one on Shemini Atzeres? Any of those numbers of all animals, you won't be able to give a reason. And if anyone tries to figure out, now I'm going to turn the tables here on Rav Hirsch, <laughs> because Hirsch is almost the um, pioneer uh, in really using animal aspects to explain why the sheep, why the bird, why it's this bird. Um, you know, he has really, uh, in, in, in very brilliant, inventive ways, the Rambam says, anyone who does what Hirsch did uh, hundreds of years later, he says, Anyone's going to try to figure out why this number, why this animal, he is basically, he's in la-la land. He is, he's, he's living a life of illusion because he hasn't added any clarity. <laughs> he's basically made things even stranger. Um, and anyone who thinks that these little details have reasons is just as off the mark as someone who thinks that mitzvahs in general have no reason. The person who is able to explain to the finest detail all these korbanos is just as big of a loony in a way than the one who thinks that God has no reason behind mitzvahs. Rabbi Kivalevitz? Yes. So what does the Rambam say about this stuff, about the measurements, you know, Arba, you know, this Arba Amor, Tent Fachim, all of these, and, and you know, a Kezayit and a Kesora and all of that. Does he, does he? Does uh, okay, that... you're, okay, one second. So you, I hear your question, Jack. You sort of conflated a couple of things there. Uh, the Shiurim, which we have a tradition of, have some sort of logical basis in terms of what's considered significant amounts of food, right? Or significant amount of what you carry on Shabbos. Uh, They come with a tradition of a certain amount. Those, I think the Rambam would say, are are ultimately, um, you know, ultimately have a certain logical basis. Um, But you you first started with, in the Mikdash, in the Mishkan, uh, how high the Mizbeach was, how big the Aron was, right? Those numbers. There, I think the Rambam would would say, it's just ridiculous. You're not going to be able to figure out anything with those numbers. 32, 30, the fact that, yeah, yeah, those numbers, yeah, you know, we're never going to figure out. God came up with these numbers. Um, and um, as he says over here, he said, here's the way the Rambam says it. If you're going to come with a reason, oh, the Nazar is a ram, and 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 and, and a regular chattis is a sheep, you know, and you came up with a reason. Now, what about if God would have switched it? <laughs> right? You could have you could have said the same thing. Like, why is right, right? And you probably would have come up with some reason the other way. You got to come up with something. 
the Rambam says, I mean, you got to make, there's a difference between a Nazir and a regular Chattis. So you have to say, this is an aisle. You have to, there's got to be some details. He says, he says, let's say it's seven Klosim and not eight. How about if you would have asked the same question, let's say it will be eight and not 10 or 20. There's got to be a number. God has to come up with a number. And if there's no number, the mitzvah doesn't really have any teeth to it. Um, and you can't ask, well, why was it this number and not some other possibility? Well, um, because you could have really asked the, you could have really asked the same question had it been the reverse. Now, um, Before we finish tonight, I want to show you one other Rambam. When the Rambam talks about Shechita and um, Basar B'cholov and um, non-kosher food, okay, so Chazir, he says, um, the reason why you can't eat Chazir is because it really gives you, uh, it, it really gives you a very negative, um, it's really a very negative uh, nutrition uh, in terms of nutrition. Uh, it, it seems to damage the body. Um, and therefore, um, and fat does the same thing. Now, I'm sorry. Let me read it again. Uh, I, I made a mistake. Um, it says, Things that it's also for us to eat for us to think that there's no nezek except chazir and, and, and chalav. He says, Eina davrkei. Because chazir is lach yosra albida. There's, it's too, again, there's too much liquid in it and it has a lot of odfim. Again, these are all medieval terms about how negative it is for, for you. Maybe it means cholesterol, maybe it means something like that. Um, the Torah hates it because also um, the Chazer himself builds the flesh of his own body out of um, a lot of tinuf, a lot of dirt, and other things. And the Torah really believes that that can affect the person uh, if he eats it. You know? Now, And he says, if we would raise pigs, then all the marketplaces and the houses would 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 be like big latrines. And he says, you see that in the in certain countries even now. Um, then he talks about fats. Fats are very bad for digestion, and they cause you to uh, they cause cold bloodedness. Um. And then he mentions how blood in general um, 
and animals that that just lie around dead uh, also are very difficult to digest. Okay. Now, Basr uh, Bacholov is probably also because it's very fatty. You have milk and meat together. It definitely causes you to be overfull. And it probably is not healthy for a person to be eating in such a way. Cheeseburgers and other things like that. Um, but it's possible, he says, that Avodah is connected to Basar B'chalav. Maybe that's what they used to eat when they did Avodah because it was so fatty and, 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 and gishmak. <laughs> now, the reason why I think it's connected to Avodah is because the Torah writes Basar B'chalav three times, and it's all the places where it writes it is right when it talks about the mitzvah of Aliyah or Regal. It mentions three times, go up to the Beis HaMikdash. And why does it mention uh, when you're going up to the Beis HaMikdash that we should not have Basar B'chalav? Hmm. It must be that we're trying to distinguish between what we do and what they do. In other words, they, when they go up to their temples... What they do is have that great meat and milk and steak with butter. He says, um, this is what I think might be true, but in my research, I haven't discovered that when I looked in my research book about old Avodah Zara. Killing the live animal, we talked about that. Um, as he says, because that's what, it's natural. Natural nutrition means vegetables and meat. And, of course, God only allows us the best meat to eat, as he explained before. And every doctor knows that, he says. Any doctor knows that that is a healthy diet. Now, since we need to eat it because God wants us uh, to be able to eat these things, again, we need to, as he said before, we have to use the the easiest death. Now, why don't we shecht oso vespino biyom echad? That is a siog and harchoka. That maybe what you will do is shecht the mother before the, 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 the child. Let me explain this a little bit better. If you have an animal... May actually, according to Chazal, it's male or female, and it's offspring. You cannot slaughter the two on the same day. Now, this became a very big issue. The Gemara says during the time of the Regel, because the animals are being sold fast and furious, and it's quite possible that the animal that I bought, its mother was shechted a couple of hours ago, and that animal is now usher for me to shecht. So the Gemara talks about ways that you can uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. But it's an Isser that was very relevant at many times. Why is it that you can't, you're killing these animals anyway. You're killing them in a merciful way. Why is it that you can't kill one, um, uh, these two on the same day? So the Rambam says the reason is, is because what we don't want to happen is that you actually, not in two different marketplaces where it's still Isser, we don't want the mother to see its child killed. That's what the Rambam says. Yes, 
even if it's in two different marketplaces, and even if the mother is already dead, you can't kill the child. What the Torah is trying to protect us from is this cruelty of a mother seeing its young killed. Why? Because the same way a human would be the worst nightmares, would be visited upon the person forever, seeing his child die in front of him, and the pain would be immense, an animal has the same pain. The Rambam says that the love that a mother has and compassion for a child isn't a result of the logical part of the person's soul and mind. It comes, Robago very happy over here, from the imaginatory faculty. And that is really there with all animals. So when you see the, the kitten that is nursing by its mother and the care the mother cat has. That is really what is being shown there on display is exactly what you are feeling for your children in terms of love and compassion, he says, and feeling. And the reason why we only have this law about uh, oxen and sheep, not deer and other wild animals, because those are the ones we usually eat. But therefore, the Torah uh, may the Torah. And I'm going to stop in a minute here. The Torah made this law in order to stop us from this cruelty, and that's why we have shiluach hakain. Why? Because think about it. First of all, generally, um, if the mother has left the eggs or the mother has left the young chicks. Those eggs are generally not very tasty. And you're not really going to want to eat them. And therefore, what you're thinking of doing is, yeah, I'll take the mother. And what I'll do is I'll have the mother sit on the eggs till they're ready to eat. I'll have the mother with the children and have them raise them and then they're going to be tasty and I'll eat them. And then I'll kill them in front of the mother. When the mother is sent away, first of all, you're probably not going to want to do that because it's going to ruin your food. And secondly, even if you do want to eat these eggs anyway, and you send the mother away, she's not going to see, although you would think she figured it out, she's not going to actually see her children being taken. And therefore, you aren't going to be guilty of animal cruelty. And most of the time, if you if you fulfill this, you're not going to even, you're going to leave that whole nest alone. Because if you send the mother away, you probably aren't going to be able to eat the stuff that you want. And if this type of pain the Torah is worried about in animals and in birds, for sure, when it comes to human beings, we have to be sensitive to this type of pain towards them. 
Now you're going to ask me, what about the Mishnah that says, that if a person prays to God and says, God, have compassion the same way you have compassion on the nest. He says, that Mishnah is something we don't hold of. Because it's not true. In other words, The simple pshat in that Mishnah goes like the opinion that he mentions before is only one opinion, right? He said it's only, he couldn't find anything similar to it. Well, now, the simple pshat in that Mishnah about don't beg God to, to, to be, to have compassion, because mitzvahs aren't about being compassionate. Those two opinions line up to each other. We, we believe the other way. And therefore, either I'll say a different shot in that Mishnah, but even though the simple shot in that Mishnah is that God is supposed, that we don't see, we don't beg God to be compassionate because the mitzvah was meant for us to do, not to show God's compassion. That's not really true. And this is where the Ramban, and we'll talk about it next week, the Ramban feels the Rambam has erred because the Rambam is willing to say that there are, there is a day in Chazal that has this um, sense of God as just the ultimate um, uh, dictator who wants things done his way and what he wants from us obedience and we can never really understand him. It's on this that the Ramban takes very great issue. And I'm just going to tease you by telling you the Rambam doesn't mention the names of these people. It's Rav, the great Amora Rav, who says about what Saraf ben is Habrios. It isn't some name that's only, never mentioned in, in, in Shas. And it's not only one place in Medrash. It's four or five places. In fact, I discovered doing some research that the same words about what Saraf ben is Habrios were ascribed to Rabbi Akiva himself. So we'll talk about it in Hashem next week with the Ramban's uh, approach. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.